Dr. Sarah Shevitz is a doctor in psychology and the founder of Couples Learn, a successful online therapy practice based in Los Angeles, California. She has been providing relationship therapy for couples and individuals since 2008 and in business for herself since 2014. She believes that fear of vulnerability, childhood wounds, and fear of rejection hold people back in their relationships. Her mission is to help people feel safe to love again, whether they are in a relationship or not. Our amazing conversation covers everything from attachment theory, one of my favorite things, to a special type of therapy that helps couples feel safe during conflict resolution called Imago therapy. A few things that stood out at me in our conversation is how much we both agree social media is a big contributor to conflict in a relationship because it can expose things being hidden and can create false stories in one's own mind. That's one of the biggest reasons why I originally chose to um, take a social media detox each and every weekend for the last four and a half months. And we're always inviting you to join us. Um, head on over to believebebealbebold.com and sign up for free today. Join us each weekend as we gather as a group around the country and you know, simply just check in with each other over text to see how we're feeling, see how we're doing, um, detaching from social media so that we can show up more authentically, present, and aware with our family and friends when it matters most. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Dr. Sarah Shevitz. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer, online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real-life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self. Hey guys, welcome back to the Be Lead, Be Real, Be Bold podcast. I'm so ecstatic to introduce my special guest from LA, California, uh, Dr. Sarah Shevitz. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. It's just how the universe and the world works that I was speaking to somebody who lives in LA and um, they need to start seeing a uh, you know, somebody, an outside source to talk to. And, and here we are just like an hour and a half later, um, connected via zoom. And thank you very much for spending the time with me. My pleasure. I'm excited. Of course. So how is it and why did you choose, um, online therapy and becoming a doctor to help others? Yeah. So, I mean, I specialize in love and relationships, so that's kind of what I chose. Um, there's, yeah, there's a few pieces to that question, I guess, like why I chose online and then also why I chose couples therapy and an individual in the area of love and relationships. So I think for the second piece, what attracted me to working in the area of love and relationships was um, in part, I've just always loved talking about love and, you know, was always getting into my friend's business. What's going on in this relationship? What's going on? Like they would come to me. I wasn't just asking randomly, mm -hmm. but um, really loved kind of that, that talk about relationships. It was always super, um, intriguing for me and fun for me. And then as I went to college and started taking, I actually went to college for something different because I didn't even really under, I don't think I even knew like what a therapist did or that they were helpful, um, or that it was something I would enjoy doing. So I went for something else, but I had to take some psychology classes and 
fell in love. I was like, oh, this is for sure what I get to do with my life. Like, this is amazing. Um, and I think what drew me particularly now in retrospect is I grew up in a really high conflict home with a lot of arguing. And I didn't know there was so much you could do to change that in a relationship. And once I started learning about that, it was like, whoa, <laughs> I need to do this. I need to learn all the things that I can learn so that I don't recreate what I lived through. So I think in retrospect, as I became a psychologist and started looking at how did that happen? That's kind of what I came up with. And, and do then, you, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and do you find people coming to you for the exact same reason? Like they're kind of drawn to you and your perspective on making a great change in their life through counseling and therapy? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think people who um, come to a therapist are usually pretty ready to be introspective and um, if they're coming to me individually, it's often because they realize they're repeating patterns over and over again in their relationships that just aren't serving them. Um, or they're choosing certain types of partners over and over again, and it's not working out. So yeah, those people are really often ready to dig into that stuff. And then couples usually come to me, my practice is probably 50-50 as far as couples and individuals. And they're often coming to me because they're fighting like crazy. And about the stupidest stuff, they always say that. They're like, we fight about literally nothing. Why does this happen? Um, and they're ready to just stop the fighting. Sure, been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and how is it that they're actually like really diving in and interested in doing it remote and online? Because uh, that you, that you do that 100% of the time. I do. I do. Um, so... I, living in LA, traffic is ridiculous, as you've probably heard, and your listeners have probably heard if they haven't experienced it firsthand. And so just getting somewhere is like a good three-hour process often, you know, by the time you drive, park, go to your session, blah, blah, blah. Um, and initially, I had a little bit of fear around would it be as good, would it be as effective? Um, but I knew I wanted to have the freedom of being able to work from anywhere. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. And it was awesome. And people actually open up more like this than often they do in person. Like they get there quicker because they're, they don't feel as confronted sometimes when there's a screen in between us. And that's really beneficial when somebody's needing to open up and do the work. Yeah. They kind of have this um, kind of conditioning between work and personal that the screen is a kind of a safe place that they can, um, be vulnerable behind, but they may not necessarily um, be held back because it's just the two of you uh, conversing and it's not recorded and it's not, um, it's not broadcast out there anywhere. Not like this podcast at all. Right. <laughs> some, some people do want me to record their sessions because um, they, they like to watch, you know, when you're in an experience, especially as a couple, there's so much going on and you can't really like take it all in at once. So mm -hmm. they like to go back and watch it. Yeah. I've actually never even considered that, that that would be beneficial um, to record it and then listen to it maybe like two or three days later. Mm -hmm. And now that I think about it, I do the same thing with the podcast I record and I don't retain any of the information. I might have the general idea of what the conversation was like and how it made me feel, but the ins and outs and the details, I don't remember until I actually edit it and then I'm distracted. And then when I listen to it again, as it's produced and actually released, so I'm listening to it three times and that's really good for me to kind of hang on to the 
the big takeaways. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So some couples ask me to record and I do gladly, but certainly that's not standard protocol. So only if somebody would ask for it, would I do that? (laughs) Totally get it. Yeah. I can see the value there for sure. When I've worked with a coach in the past and a therapist, I've never had record it before, but a coach would for me. And I found it so helpful and would listen after the fact. Yeah. So it definitely does help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes away all of the guesswork of like, am I fooling myself? Am I like telling myself a story here that like even I wouldn't believe when I listen to it later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you can see yourself from a different perspective when you're not in it. You can be a little more objective. Mm-hmm. I, I'll laugh occasionally. Like, I didn't think I was trying to make a joke on the podcast recording, but I listened to it later and I'm almost like, I'm a, I'm a listener and I get to like really hear my guest speak for the first time and it's new and it's fresh and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, I can imagine that your, your clients are really moving forward very quickly with the use of technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Besides fighting, what is it that brings people to you? What are like some common um, first session phrases that people are like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? Mm -hmm. So with couples, um, just either there's kind of two camps with couples, either they're not communicating. And so they're repressing, 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 and then eventually they may explode or it just may be this like slow simmer of resentment building up. And so they feel really disconnected over time. It just creates a gap in between them. Um, The other camp is they are constantly criticizing each other and really just zeroed in on this is an enemy that needs to be fixed and changed and isn't safe. Um, Those are the two camps often that I see as far as communication goes. And then intimacy concerns are pretty common when you're fighting with somebody like that you don't usually want to have sex with them. <laughs> um, or if you're not communicating and feeling re- really disconnected, also not really the best time to want to have sex. Mm-hmm. So I see that a lot. And then I see, um, I'd say those are the biggest things. Yeah. With individuals, it's a whole other set of problems. And those are simply just symptoms of a, of a troubled relationship. And then we kind of dig deeper and peel back the layers of the onion and, is your goal to make them feel safe amongst each other or between themselves so that they can kind of break it down to rebuild that foundation of trust? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Um, Often when you've been fighting with somebody for a long time or not communicating with somebody, you, your brain starts to program them as unsafe. And so your amygdala, which is kind of the instinctual part of your brain back here, literally sees your partner you see your partner and the amygdala goes, enemy, like I'm already on high alert. And so then you're more likely to take what they say, even if they say something positive to you or neutral to you, you're more likely to interpret it as a criticism or an attack because your amygdala is saying this is an enemy. So they're probably going to attack us. And then your ego finds ways to support that. Because we always want to try and connect the dots to tell ourselves an explanation for what's happening in our world, whether that be uh, fight or flight mm-hmm. and in that kind of um, human behavior that we have. Exactly. And how do you unwind um, those 
pretty much the ego and the biology of our brain and really help people see what's truly in front of them. So I practice something called Imago therapy, which is a really structured um, format for couples therapy that uses a specific dialogue that soothes your brain as it's happening. And it creates a safe structure where you can open up without fear of being attacked. And it just, it works on a neurological level. It works on an emotional level. It works in, on so many different levels. Sure. Can you kind of paint me a picture of um, maybe a, a loosely uh, based on in reality kind of a scenario where that would um, apply and then how it would work? Mm-hmm. We could actually just play it out. Do you want sure. to do that? Yeah, okay. absolutely. I'm totally down. I'm game. Yeah. All right. So just any concern that you might have pretend like we're a couple that got in a fight. You can think back to a past fight with a past partner or just make something up totally and just tell me what you're experiencing of it. And I'm going to do the dialogue to you. Okay. So my partner is um, following Instagram accounts that I don't really feel comfortable with. Okay. So tell me you're following Instagram accounts. Okay. You're, you're following um, half-naked men on Instagram, and that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Okay. So what I hear you saying is you're not comfortable because I'm following these guys on Instagram. Is there more? Um, I think that it's a reflection of me insecure with myself. <laughs> you would be a very personally developed couple if you said that right out the gates. <laughs> I know. I, 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 <laughs> Like my, my subconscious doesn't go to like, um, kind of antagonizing yeah. uh, the situation, you know, like, yeah, um, actually I do want to talk about this conflict resolution and maybe your strategy now that we've actually like <laughs> lived it out, just like we cut out all the middle BS. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard to role play. Like I have so many actual client experiences to pull from, but it's, yeah, it is. But so I would keep mirroring you is what the process is. So I repeated back what you said. So I would say, okay, so you feel like this is coming from an insecurity within yourself. Is there more about that? And you would continue to tell Mm -hmm. me. So just make up one more sentence. Um, I believe that um, it comes from a place where um, I was betrayed in past relationships and I didn't feel like um, the, my partner was all in. Okay. So it feels like that came from a past experience of being betrayed and just feeling like somebody's not all in with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in essence, what you're saying is you don't like that I'm following these guys on Instagram who are half naked and it's making you feel insecure and it's reminding you of being betrayed in the past. Did I get that all? Yeah, you definitely caught it. That makes a lot of sense. If I had those past experiences of feeling betrayed, like, of course you're worried because you've been betrayed in the past. It's triggering insecurities within you. Like that makes perfect sense. And you're probably feeling really insecure and upset with me and maybe like a little betrayed. Is that what you're feeling? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. That's the dialogue. Okay. So the three steps are mirroring, validating, and then empathizing. Mm -hmm. So when I said that makes sense, that's me validating. And then I imagine you might be feeling is me empathizing. So using that structure, couples can't talk back. Like I'm not sharing my opinion. Like I didn't even follow that guy and I don't even know him. Who cares? Like, what is the big deal? I'm not doing any of that. I'm just holding space for you to have an experience and validating it and empathizing with you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I didn't hear any defensiveness whatsoever. And that's a good conflict resolution starting point. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, sure. At first, um, I was simply uncomfortable with it because I didn't know it was coming. But um, that that would be anybody's first experience with a, a new type of conversation and a new type of uh, conflict resolution. Yeah. And then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I processed it and I passed it. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of shoved it to the side a little bit um, because this isn't reality, but it kind of feels like it would be. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm surprised that I actually came up with that because um, that's not a current situation, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not seeing anybody uh, exclusively or seriously. And mm-hmm. what I do know is that our listeners are concerned with activity and social media coming between them in the, their relationship. Yep. I see it a lot too. Mm-hmm. Now that it's 2019 and dating and love and marriage and relationships are they were hard to begin with. And now we have so much other stimulation out there. Now, what are we seeing as commonalities for your, for your practice and your patients? So that scenario that you just played out is a pretty common one. Um, it's interesting. I, I didn't even know this until recently that you can see what your partner has liked on Instagram. I think like there's a, I still haven't tried it like a separate section you can go to. I don't know. I sound like I'm 50 years old right now. I'm not. <laughs> but. No, in the same way, it actually, that conversation came up um, just the other day with a couple of Instagram influencers that have been guests on the podcast and they're single and they're dating and they're like, well, we totally dig deep into their Instagram account and see what they're liking. I know. I don't, I don't know that that serves you. <laughs> uh, from the person who's doing the research, definitely not. Because if if you have to do that, maybe the trust and the foundation isn't there for a strong enough relationship, anyways. Well, but it shouldn't be after a date or two. You should still be exploring that. So to preemptively kind of try to find evidence that it's not there when it shouldn't be in the first place is you're just setting yourself up for failure. I think. Sure, there's the ego coming into play and trying to connect the dots again and again yeah. and again. That's right. Yep. Um, so I see that a lot where people will make something out of nothing. Um, and you know, I've seen people get caught like because we have more access to what somebody's doing, um, where they legitimately were cheating or they were being really sketchy. So I think technology, there's a, there's a blessing and a curse, right? Like it helps you figure things out that you might not otherwise have known. So you can make an informed decision about whether to say or not. Uh, and it can also help you create some pretty gnarly stories about what's happening when it's not. Yeah, definitely. Social media used appropriately is an excellent tool. Um, it helped you and I connect and um, it allowed us to um, do this podcast. And um, without Instagram, we definitely wouldn't have met. Um, yeah. And then it can also be a big distraction and an addiction that people aren't talking about right now. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm addicted to Instagram sometimes for sure. And I hear that in my clients too. It's, it's just talking to somebody yesterday about it. She's like, I literally just scroll aimlessly and I could be connecting with my family or my friends or with myself. And it's just, I can't stop. I was like, sister, I feel you. <laughs> I do the same thing sometimes. Oh, I, I do enjoy I do enjoy your Instagram stories because they resonate and they hit home for me a lot. And let's circle back to 
um, conflict resolution and how it, it really surprised me that I didn't sense defensiveness and then I didn't respond with defensiveness in that little role-playing situation. Yep. Because, because of the structure that there's like not even space for that. But if I had been defensive, it would have escalated you and we would have started talking about that little thing and it would have gone all the way over here, maybe, or like all the way on a different topic. And we'd be bringing in the past all of a sudden and everything would just be, we wouldn't even be arguing about what we were arguing about anymore or getting to the core of what actually was happening, which in most situations would not has happened, have happened as quickly as you got there. But for the sake of, of understanding the dialogue, it was perfect. <laughs> Let's just say I've had a lot of time to, uh, to myself over the last couple of years of being single to, um, to do the work because I was intentional about what I wanted my life to be like in the future. And I wasn't satisfied with um, settling in subpar relationships or going past two or three dates when I just absolutely knew that um, my intuition was telling me it wasn't the right fit. Yep. That's awesome. It's a blessing and a curse sometimes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that like I'm so good and happy um, in this life I'm creating for myself, but it would be great to have somebody to share it with. Mm -hmm. I don't need that for sure. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we did a post recently on that about the kind of judgment that we have in society about people being single, like there's something wrong with it. And there's not at all. You can have an amazing, fulfilling life without a partner and that's okay. Like you don't have to be with somebody to be happy, but that's really confronting for some people. So you get the questions like, why are you still single or what's going on? Why haven't you met someone? It's like, maybe I don't want to. <laughs> or maybe I'm good with how things are and it's not a huge focus right now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we put things aside that are not a priority so that we can focus on family members. Like my daughter is 17. She's a senior in high school. Uh, mm-hmm. She is a priority. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I may not feel like a priority in her life because she has quite the social life. And she's like, Dad, I'll have my people call your people. <laughs> Oh, wait, dad, you don't have any people. I'll have my people <laughs> call you. Aww. So we have, these, we have these daddy, daddy daughter dates every other weekend and I'll call her up and I'm like, Hey, can I take you to lunch? And she says, yes, I'm available Saturday, but not Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I just tell myself it's cause she's watching football and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm proud of her. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. You instilled some important values in her. <laughs> And why I bring that up is because she's a priority. And if the only day that I um, am able to see her because of marching band or because of an exam that she has coming up or whatever's going on in her world, uh, if a date wants to come in between her and I, then, you know, that's a pretty easy no for me to, um, to understand what my priorities are and where they lie. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really important when you're dating to understand what your priorities and values are, particularly values, because having matched values with somebody is, it makes things a lot easier. Mm -hmm. It's not a hundred percent necessary. You can make it work, but it's way easier if your values match up. Right. And I made a post the other day and you and I were chatting a little bit about core values and you listed Mm -hmm. yours. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
thank you very much for actually like kind of waking me up to um, what my point was on social media because I was talking about core values, but I didn't nail it the way that I wanted to. Mm. And what I was talking about is like, maybe like my priorities and my preferences and my activity choices in my relationship. That's what the context of the post was all about. And I need to kind of look back at my core values and uh, realize that I wasn't actually diving as deep as I could have there. Mm -hmm. Because you posted back that honesty and I believe connection and transparency was there too. Yeah, I think trust, loyalty, and connection are my kind of top three. Um, And there's very, you know, they vary a little bit which one's the top one. But yeah, and there's so many more, but those are our values. And what you prioritize, though, speaks to your values. For sure. I think it's a, I think it was truly stating the application of my values. Yeah. And, um, understanding where I, I sit and stand with vulnerability, which is always my biggest challenge. Yeah. And uh, sometimes social media isn't the appropriate place for um, extreme transparency or vulnerability. Although when done correctly, as Brene Brown would say. Oh, love that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? I say in this context, fucking go for it. That okay. <laughs> but we do like uh, her simplicity of her message uh, just has the ability to resonate with so many different types of people mm-hmm. and uh, helped me in the past couple of years of understanding that vulnerability is a strength and not a weakness. And also understanding that without boundaries, it's not vulnerability at all, but rather manipulation. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really true. You know, if you say that's an area of, of struggle for you, I think you're working really hard on shifting that because it doesn't show up. It, I mean, it usually will show up when you get really close to someone. So I get that it's not going to show up, you know, on social media and in, in this interview, but you're doing good work. <laughs> I think that it's been a goal of mine to um, be a little bit more transparent and divulge more of um, appropriate disclosures here on the podcast. So Mm -hmm. this is an excellent platform for me to practice that. And here's why you can't start episode number one with like, here's all my vulnerable stuff. And much like you do on a daily basis with your online clients, I had to build trust within my community before I was able to um, communicate my vulnerability effectively. Yep. Otherwise, it's not received in the same way as the intention would have it. Yeah. And there's, so there's a concept in therapy about disclosure, like self-disclosure, and there's a lot of different um, opinions around it, but that speaks to what you're talking about is you, if you are going to use self-disclosure in therapy as a therapist, you need to do it in a way that's supporting your client, not just making it about you. And so that's kind of the differential you're figuring out, I think, is like what to say that would be in support of your audience versus just like you airing your, your stuff just yeah. for the sake of airing it. Yeah. And also respectful of whatever partner it is that I'm talking about too. Mm, yes, for sure. They, they didn't agree to be on the podcast <laughs> if we broke up like six months ago. Oh, I've definitely aired out some stuff about exes, but 
not here on the podcast. Yeah. Because um, I'm not, I'm not one to burn bridges and, and there's a whole lot of uh, respect as one of our core values here in the community of the podcast. Yeah. That's amazing. We're trying. (laughs) So um, how do I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a big leap here and try to make a connection between core values and the ease or the difficulty of conflict resolution. Okay. Yeah. So let's say we have a mismatched partnership with on their core values and they're trying to resolve a conflict. Where do we begin and what's that process going to be like? Okay. So that's a really good question. And it, happens very frequently because you're not going to have every core value matching with your partner usually. Um, So, and 69% of relationship problems are not solvable. They're just areas where you have to agree to disagree. Um, That is from research from the Gottman Institute, which are like the leaders in the field of research when it comes to relationships. And so sometimes you just have to get actually not sometimes 69% of the time you just have to get where your partner is coming from and validate it and empathize with them that's where the dialogue comes in and just basically say okay you're not crazy we just value different things or we just think about the world in different ways or we saw this perspective and different this situation from different perspectives and that's okay because we're separate people differentiation is a huge thing that has to happen in couples therapy and we often see couples are really symbiotic. So they kind of see their partner as an extension of them and vice versa. Rather than recognizing this is one person and I am a separate person and what we do isn't really a reflection of each other in this world. Um, So a big part of the process in couples therapy is helping them see that and helping them separate a little bit so they're not so attached to what happens in their partner's world. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I just keep turning over in my mind. Um, healthy boundaries, even after you're married, is still important mm-hmm. to, to lead those separate lives because the more you're overlapping and you're becoming one person, I don't want to I don't want to just leap right to the to the point that that's codependency. But like it really this uh distances your individuality which is why you guys got together in the first place mm-hmm. and how important that still is necessary in a marriage in a long-term relationship like i do jujitsu four to five times a week i don't think that there's that many women out there who are going to be interested and in coming along with me on that right so that's and maybe you don't want them to be because that's yeah. your space to do you yeah absolutely yeah. and that's my individuality However, like if you want to come support me at my next tournament, yeah, you've get, you get four or five opportunities every year to come be a cheerleader, be a raving fan, um, be my partner and support me in something that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of that, like detachment, you're just not attached to the outcome for what happens in your partner's life or you don't feel responsible for it. You can let them be a little more free and just have their space to do their thing. If they screw up, so what? It's not about you. And it, if it comes up in a relationship where like one partner feels like the other is infiltrating that private space or that personal space or their um, me time, alone time, 
um, how do we resolve that conflict? Mm. So this, I was going to bring this up earlier and it came full circle. There's different attachment styles that people have and we'll often find um, pairings between people who have um, more of a need for independence, which would be avoidant attachment style or in um, Stan Hadkin's language, their islands. And then we have the anxious attachment style who have a lot of need for closeness and connection and communication and all that stuff. And um, their waves in Stan Tatkin's style, he does um, PACT, which is a type of couples therapy that focuses on attachment. So anyway, it's that is often what causes the challenges is we've got an anxious and an avoidant trying to, cause they are attracted to each other like magnets. Yeah. Trying to interact. People and call one, chemistry in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one is chasing, 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 trying to invade the space of the other because the other needs so much space that the anxious feels really abandoned and not seen and not heard and just sad, like disconnected. Where the more they chase, the more the avoidant pulls back and is like, whoa, I need some space here. Only continuing the pursuer distancer cycle, which just is so unpleasant for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And it oftentimes implodes. Uh Now, if let's use the context of um, my time at jujitsu being very unlikely that my partner would actually join me in that. Um, There are couples who go to the same jujitsu school. I've seen it lots of times and it works great, but let's say that the person who needs that four to five hours a week at their gym or at their women's group or their coffee get togethers with their, with their lady power partners through work or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they're secure. That person who needs those four to five hours away from their partner is secure. And um, they're coming from a place of like really good communication. Hey, I need this. You can be a part of it in so forth, you can come to our annual event or you can come to our quarterly event or anything like that. And then the other person in this case, maybe an anxious attached just cannot accept that. Okay. There's so many layers to that, but um, potentially there's more the secure person could be doing in the time that they are together to help foster the connection or even just communicating before he goes into class saying, I'm thinking about you and I love you. And then when he leaves, like I'm on my way home, can't wait to see you, you know, just little things that you can do to maybe foster the connection and remind your partner. Um, I'm here. I really want to connect with you. And also reminding the partner who may be anxious in that scenario. uh, I can like me being able to do this makes me be able to, provide more connection for you. And so if I can't take care of myself, I can't give to this relationship. Uh, So that's, you know, what you can do at home. (laughs) And then the rest would probably be the, it would be couples therapy slash potentially individual therapy for the anxious partner about creating some more safety and security from within rather than needing it external Mm -hmm. from external sources. Yeah, that, that's definitely what I was visualizing. Um, 
I'm not really good at giving love in the words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not uh, tops of my list. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, acts of service and quality time are probably the two biggest that I give love. Mm-hmm. and I don't receive love in words of affirmation either. So it's really hard for me to relate. Mm. And if you put that combination together with an anxious attachment style mm-hmm. and a reformed avoidant attachment style like myself, <laughs> yeah. who has drifted back towards secure intentionally with all the work mm-hmm. and purposely and intentionally wanting to make a change in my life about that, we still have some conflict that may arise <laughs> Um when it comes to how I communicate outside of class. So I totally understand your point. Yeah. And it's a give and take, right? Like, so if you wanted to make that work, you would have to be super intentional about reminding yourself to give those words, like setting setting an alarm before and after, if it's not top of your mind and it doesn't come naturally. But I hear this a lot with couples. They're like, well, I don't speak that love language. Well then learn it. You got to figure it out if you want to make this work. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not an option to just say, oh, I don't do that. (laughs) Because when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, loving your partner is a choice and our choice becomes our action. Mm -hmm. And if you're absolutely right that learning your partner's love language and actually uh, committing and making the choice to using it, is going to help your relationship flourish and benefit and grow. And give you the space to have your four or five hours a week at whatever said activity you're choosing in that moment. Like, cause it's not just you, it's so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you got to kind of also weigh out the cost benefit analysis for yourself. <laughs> is it you're worth sure. it to have to set an alarm to send a text yeah. message so that I can do this without hearing her bitch about it? <laughs> You're speaking my language because I'm totally a systems guy. And you just, <laughs> said, you just said cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, some people call it a dating process. And mm. that rubs people the wrong way because they're like, no, dating is a feeling. Mm. Well, um, when you start to understand who you are as an individual, and then you add somebody else on top of that, there's some adjustments to your personal life system that need to be made in order to make room for another person. Mm-hmm. There sure are, which and is I, hard for a yeah. lot of people, especially the longer you've been single, the more you're like, I don't want to adjust. Sure. <laughs> and, and that brings up uh, more of like the ambivalent attachment style, doesn't it? Well, there's, there's a couple different ambivalent attachment styles and fearful avoidant would be an ambivalent one where it's like you want the closeness, but you're also kind of afraid to, to, step out and do it because you've been burned so many times before. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people can resonate with that, whether you're, uh, you have a fearful avoidant attachment or not. We've all been burned. (laughs) We've all know it's hard to put yourself back out there afterwards. Um, But yeah, those, that's that piece of I'm holding back fully committing by not doing all the things that would make it work because I'm afraid of getting hurt and fully, if I fully commit, But it's funny because, or slash ironic, because you are going to get hurt because you're not giving it your all. So your partner is eventually going to get sick of it and start complaining or leave or whatever they might do. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, it does. A push and a pull, um, polarity of the magnets of anxious and avoidant coming together. And then our self-doubt and our lack of self-awareness that uh, fulfills the self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, it's brutal. It's savage out there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think more and more people are acting avoidant, even if that wasn't their core attachment style from childhood because of how dating is now. It's just so easy to be detached and thank you next. And there's 10 million other people waiting to talk to me on my phone. That is an avoidant attachment style way of thinking that like our society has kind of fostered. Mm-hmm. With technology being used in an inappropriate way. I don't even know if it's inappropriate, to be honest. It is just how it's designed to be used. It just, it's really hard. Sure. What, yeah. I, what I mean by inappropriate is like they have been burned. They have this fearful ambivalent or a fearful avoidant attachment style. And they are saying uh, swipe uh, grass is always greener. And I just can go back on the app and swipe again and find the next white knight or the Prince Charming or right. um, luck or whatever, whatever you want to talk, like apply names to just these figures or idealized versions of, oh, well, there's always something better out there. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, tell me if you agree, like that securely attached people are having that experience now. It's not even about being avoidant or fearful avoidant. That is just the way online dating is. Yeah. You're not operating in a vacuum or a silo. Um, You're an individual seeking another individual. And if you are secure and you come across an anxious or an avoidant, you're going to have a reaction the opposite direction um, subconsciously or uh, midbrain or um, or defense mechanism section of the brain. Uh, It's built to protect us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough out there for dating for sure. I feel like more and more people just have the grass is always greener mentality, which then, leads to relationships being more detached, which then leads to pouring into social media instead of each other. There's so many more exits out of a relationship, like mental exits that makes, it just makes connecting really hard these days. Amen to that. Yeah. So I know your time is valuable. Um, What's the best way for people to get a hold of you if your message resonates with them today? Um, And couples learn on everything. So, um, as far as social media, I spend way too much time on Instagram. <laughs> you can find me at Couples Learn. Um, no, because I, I came across you. I know. <laughs> we were both spending too much time on Instagram. Yeah. People message me. They're probably shocked by how fast I message back. I'm the so, same way over here. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I post on Twitter, but just, it, I'm not really on it that much. And, um, Facebook, you can search Couples Learn and find me on there. And then my website's coupleslearn.com. And if you feel like you want to dig into some of this stuff on a deeper level and have a therapist that can help you do that, um, I do online therapy so I can work with anyone. And just go to my website and book a free 30-minute consultation. And we'll see if working together is a good fit. Great. And if there's one thing that we didn't touch on or you want to expand on that we didn't quite dive deep enough into, what would that be? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe values, how to, fi- how to figure out what your values are. That could be for a future podcast episode. I do love talking about values. And I actually have a worksheet over on my dresser um, that my counselor gave me. And um, I, 
I definitely got that wake up call the other day. Thank you very much for uh, very kindly pointing out that um, my values were not values and actually, actually values. They were more like application of the values, which I still uh, definitely know the value of applying values in your relationship. Yeah, exactly. So it might be the next thing that I do before I go to bed tonight. Amazing. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. It's my pleasure. And what do you say in the next six to 12 months we do this again and we, we dive deep into core values? I'm in. All right. <laughs> Thank you again, Sarah. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you.